become that individual that starts owning those those properties. So I'll give you an example. You know, I mentioned I did my training in Mount Sinai, New York City. So my wife and I, we were living in this one bedroom place and it was great. We were newly married. We loved the place. And my uncle told me, he's like, why are you renting? Why don't you buy the place? I was like, oh man, this is expensive, right? And back then, I, mean, I don't know how much it cost, a few hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was. And he said, you know what? Don't buy the apartment, buy the building. I was like, what the heck is he talking about? Like no one buys buildings. I was like, I don't know who owns buildings, but I'm sure it's some big, gigantic corporation that owns the entire island of Manhattan. Welcome to the Physicians and Properties Podcast, the show where we teach you how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want. Doctor, 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 doctor. Now, here's your host, Dr. Alex Schlow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Physicians and Properties Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Alex Schlow. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Physicians and Properties Podcast. I really hope you've been enjoying this as much as I have. It has been such a joy for me to have the opportunity to interview these incredible physicians and healthcare workers who are doing big things in the real estate space as well as the business world. I hope you've been as motivated as I have to learn how investing in real estate, operating businesses, writing books even, can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want to. Our guest today was a really fun episode to record, partly because Dr. Sharma and I actually graduated from the same medical school, separated by a few years, but the same school nonetheless. So we have that common bond uh, of graduating from the Medical College of Virginia in Richmond, Virginia. Our guest today is Dr. Sanjay Sharma. He is a hematology and oncology specialist. He is a real estate professional and a visionary investor. And to be honest, just an incredible educator and mentor to many. He has been doing big things in the real estate space, but it all started as a limited partner on some deals. And he realized as he invested more and more into these limited partnerships and did passive investing, he realized, hey, he could do more. He could become an active investor in the general partner, and he could buy those big apartment buildings that you see. And that's what he's doing now. But it all started from a syndication as a limited partner in a deal. And then they bought a triplex and then bought more and more real estate and larger and larger properties to now where they're looking at buying 100 units, 145 units or more in different markets throughout the Southeast and Midwest. Dr. Sharma is committed to teaching physicians how investing in real estate can change your life. And, and that's why we get along so well is because we have the same mission, we have the same mindset, we have the same goals to create a community of physician real estate investors who are then able to have the freedom to take better care of their patients, spend more time with their family, do things that they love, and really see that freedom. We talk a lot about mindset as well in this episode. It's definitely something I've been working on and has been a, a game changer for me, and I think will be for you as well. There's so much value packed into this episode. This is going to be one you're going to want to listen to multiple times. So without any further ado, let's get to today's episode with Dr. Sharma. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Physicians and Properties podcast. We have another exciting guest here tonight, actually an alum from the same medical school I went to, the Medical College of Virginia. Dr. Sanjay Sharma is here. Dr. Sharma, so good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for your time. How are things going? Things are great, Alex. I'm excited to be here. It's a Honored to be on your podcast and uh, thank you for your service. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for joining us from sunny California. I will hop right in. If you don't mind, just kind of telling uh, the audience a little bit about yourself, kind of your journey into medicine. And then, of course, we want to hit that journey into real estate as well. Yeah. So, so yes, we have my journey in medicine. So I am a doctor. I'm a full-time hematologist and oncologist in uh, Southern California in Orange County. It is sunny here, so it's a great place to be. Our paths didn't cross at the same times, but the same locations. So I did go to MCV. I graduated last century. I graduated in 1999. Um, and like we were talking about in the green room before. So when I graduated MCV, then she changed the VCU School of Medicine. So like this was before there was basketball at VCU. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't have like the rah-rah with VCU, but Richmond was a good place. So I, I grew up in the Midwest. I went to college at Washington St. Louis. And I decided to go to graduate school. But while I was in graduate school, I got into med school. So I ditched that, became an epidemiologist, and then got into school in New York and Virginia. And I've always been a proponent that you do everything you can to see the country, to see the world. My parents are living in New York. So I'm like, I'm going to Virginia. I've never been in the South. So I spent time in Virginia and then for internship and residency, went back to St. Louis at WashU. And then while I was in residency, I got married. My wife was from LA and was in school in New York. And then we moved to New York City to do my training in hematology and oncology. And then at the end of fellowship, you know, we were talking about, okay, so what are we going to do? Are we going to like buy an apartment in New York City, at, you know, a two bedroom place or build a little wall for a nursery because my wife was pregnant with her first and she's like, no, we're out. Oh, actually, it actually even goes further than that. I was going to go into academics. And then I was dead set on being a, an academic oncologist. But then New York academics are different. And so I was like, well, let me explore. And then they offered me a salary, which was not a livable salary in New York City. <laughs> so we're out. And we came to Southern California. And I've been here since uh, 2005. That's awesome. I'm sure you've seen a lot of change in, in California, and I'm sure Richmond had changed a lot in between your time and my time there as well. Two questions about MCV from 1999. One was Linda yeah. Costanza there. Costanza there. Yeah. She, yeah. She, yeah. She was still there yeah. when I went, which was awesome. She was the best. I, I think she just retired last year, but one of no the best kidding. physiology instructors, I'm sure, that yeah. exists in the world. I mean, she, she was just, just incredible. Um, you remember yeah, she, like studying for USMLE? No, she, yeah. I forget what text we used, but you know, you yeah. go with her and you study like, oh, that's, yeah. oh, I haven't done yeah. Bernadine in years. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. She's the best. And then the other was, did you ever go to Joe's in the restaurant in the fan? That was one of my favorites. Those are two things I miss about Richmond and, and many more, yeah. but uh, Linda Costanzo is great and uh, Joe's in are great. So if anyone listening to this is going to Richmond, Virginia, you got to check out Joe's in. It's a great restaurant, but yeah, it's nice. also changed a lot. Yeah. But yeah. what a great education. What a great place to learn and to, and to train. Mm -hmm. You know, Richmond was just such a fun city too. So absolutely. So it sounds like, you know, California, that's been the place for you. And, mm -hmm. and, and since then, Orange County, have you lived, guys lived in Orange County the whole time or? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Cool. And then, so you, you previously had a business in terms of Hemonic Live, is that correct? Where you guys kind of made a course that made cancer easier for patients to understand, probably easier for doctors to understand as well too. Is that correct? Yeah. So I love teaching. I love educating. So anything I can do to help that, I do it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I always tell my patients, you know, like as an oncologist, they're like, okay, tell me what to do. And I was like, you know, my job is actually to educate you and you put the variables in your life and you make a decision. You know, it's very different than a trauma surgeon. You come into the ER and then boom, you got to go. 
you know, for me with cancer, it's big time diagnosis, big life changing diagnosis. It, we spend most of our time just kind of educating. Absolutely. Well, you, I'm sure you're really great at what you do. I got a great uh, little bonus 20 minute education session with you before this, and I'm really grateful. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that. I, I'm sure, you know, talking with folks as a hematologist, oncologist, you probably talked to a lot of folks towards the, the end of their lives. H has there been any like theme of discussion of like things that people wish they did differently when they were younger or any like themes that you've noticed? Oh, interesting. No, but I will say one thing that I've noticed and all of us notice, and I'm sure you notice, is that mindset is so critically important for a person, regardless of where they are in in their journey, whether it's a cancer survivorship or whether it's what we do in real estate is time and time again, I see that the patients who got this, this strong mindset, like a, think of like, like think if you had to push someone over, right? And you had, and you were standing next to, I don't know, like a football player, like an offensive lineman, you don't budge that person. So like, if you have a mind that's so strong as that, the outside things that happen to you, you keep your inner strength and it gets you through cancer survivorships. It gets you through those cut scans that don't look great or side effects or chemotherapy or a clinical trial or, or anything. And so that's one thing I've, I've noticed in oncology and all throughout medicine. And that's one of the freedoms that I seek in myself to try to have that strength, that inner strength. Yeah. And mindset's so important. Are there any like resources that come to mind for folks who want to know more about kind of mindset and how that Im impacts medicine and real estate? Any, anybody you tend to follow or recommend? I would say, so you're asking about specific things. I would say everything I follow is about yeah. mindset. It's intertwined in kind of everything you do. So in terms of practices, there's different ways of practicing it and people do it differently. So for example, I, I meditate and thus I spend time on getting my feelings and my emotions into kind of almost like a steady, joyous state, as opposed to the stress of life and whatever challenges you may have in terms of work and family and finances, I separate myself and spend time on gratefulness. And it kind of takes you into a different mental state that allows me then to think about my future and try to picture myself into those freedoms. Again, we talked pre-recording, where I asked you, you know, what are your visions? Like, what do you see yourself? And you aptly and appropriately talked about goals that you have in your family, but physically put yourself in that setting in a state of mind where you're not kind of stressed with all the craziness of life. And that's kind of your challenge and that you get guided towards. And so that's kind of how mindset gets developed. And, and people have different ways. You know, people do it through spirituality. I do it through my meditations. I, I'm also a religious person. And I also recognize kind of the good and the strength of all my family members and the people before me. And I try to glean from that. And even when I'm doing kind of that gratefulness stuff, sometimes I'm thinking about people who are strangers, you know, someone on the road that smiled and said, hi, right? You know, that's not common in Southern California or whatnot, or a patient or my kids or my parents or, you know, my in-laws. So I, I glean strength from all of that. And that helps strengthen your mindset. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have like a miracle morning every morning, basically. And if folks mm -hmm. aren't familiar with the miracle morning, how Elrod wrote a book called The Miracle Morning, it's great. You can make different variations of it how you see fit. But I wake up at five, go to the gym, take a shower, and sit in my car outside the clinic, 
read the Bible, journal, try and start with something I'm grateful for, but it's typically just like a stream of consciousness and then yeah. go to work. I've been doing that probably every day for the last year and a half without missing yeah. a day during the work week. Yeah. And gosh, it's just a game changer. I mean, it just really mm -hmm. is. I think there was one day I uh, missed my alarm and I didn't get a chance to have that routine of that day. It was just, it was shot and the yeah. mindset, you know, and, and having that time and that routine is really helpful for folks. So really encourage people who are listening to take this stuff to heart because mindset really is a game changer. How have you found vision has impacted your real estate investing and your medical practice and, and so forth? If someone's looking at creating their yeah. own vivid vision. So, so the vivid vision, specifically what you're talking about in the book, and I have my written vivid vision is picturing yourself three years from now that, and I wrote it as I titled it. So my company's exponential capital investment, but I titled it Exp exponential capital investment. I think annual report, something. So like start out like whatever dear investors, we look back in the last three years and these are the kind of things that we've succeeded on. So, I, so within that, I talk about specifically closing on particular size building in particular parts of the country, the charity work um, that we had accomplished, the mentorship that we've done with other physicians. I specifically talk about in that vivid vision, the physician real estate nation, a, a nation of physician investors who are free from kind of the burden, the finances and, and making uh, medicine a better place for all patients and, and all. And that's like my vivid vision. And within that, I incorporate the freedoms I'm looking for in the sense of it allows me to have time freedom where I can do podcasts with you at you know, random times of the day, or my kids are getting older, they're, gonna, they're juniors and seniors in high school. So it's not so much that they're eight years old and I can take them to soccer and all that kind of stuff, but you know, spending time with them and spending time with my family or, or my parents or whatever. And vitality, I mean, uh, you're in the Air Force, you talk about exercise. And likewise, it's super important to me is, you know, having that strength. The things that we did see, you mentioned that in oncology, we talk about and we see end of life issues. And I've had too many patients who waited to retire to buy that RV and to travel, and they ignored the abdominal pain they've had for two years. And that ends up being metastatic pancreatic cancer or colon or, or whatever it may be. And so you want to have that strength of uh, vitality. And then obviously geography to be anywhere in the world and to do these things. And so that's my vision and, and it's physically written down. And what that does to you, it allows you, similar to what I was talking about mindset and meditation, it puts you in that place and it gives you a guide. So now let's relate that to how we're guided in medicine. Okay. So we're guided in medicine. It's a mentorship. So by default, we both went to MCV. You know, for us in medicine, your job was to get into med school. Once you got into med school, the apprenticeship takes you along. Okay. So it's kind of pretty simple if you think about it. Like, I don't think medicine is hard. I don't think being a doctor is hard. You just have to get in the front door and then you're guided what to do. On day one at MCV, here's your syllabus, right? Yep. You have a test in two weeks. Okay. This is how you pass USMLE. You know, we talk about Linda. This is how you get into residency. This is what you do for you in attending. We're guided. Okay. In entrepreneurship, it's different. You're not given a textbook. So that's what your vivid vision is that you've created yourself and you're guided either purposely, whereas, and I'm assuming in your, in your miracle morning, at least in my miracle morning, there's also scheduling and, and putting things forward. And there's something called, called Eisenhower matrix that I use. So now you're guiding yourself. You're not being guided by other people and other people's schedule and timeline that's yours. And that's a pretty beautiful and amazing and powerful thing. 
Because most of us, we just live lives based on what's around us, the circumstances that are around us. You're busy today because you had 25 patients. You're busy today because whatever, you know, something's going on with your kids or your wife or this, that, or the other, or if you're a football fan, so-and-so is at the playoffs. How about you create your own life in which you did through that vivid vision, you have the strength in your mindset practice, and now that's what truly being guided is about. So that's kind of how I look at my vivid vision and what I see from the future. That's awesome. Yeah, and it'll be so cool for you to look in those three years and, and I'd imagine, you know, knowing you and, and talking with you that you're going to far surpass what's on that vivid vision because you're so focused on that and your particular activating system has been activated like we discussed and, and you're just, just charging up that mountain. And I think you mentioned a good point too, talking about the folks who are waiting until they retire to buy the RV. It's important to enjoy that climb as well up the mountain. I think sometimes folks, yeah. we just focus on, hey, what's the summit? What's the peak? What's the, the end of that vivid vision? And we kind of forget the in-between and forget the climb. So I think that's really important as well. So thanks for touching on that point too. Well, let's kind of pivot into real estate. So how did you yeah. get involved in real estate? Kind of take, take me back to the beginning of real estate investing for you and yeah. we'll kind of work our way through that journey. So I think innately everyone understands real estate because everyone has is living in some place or another. And then everyone gets the concept that people who are wealthy own real estate. The step that is hard to make is how do you become that individual that starts owning those those properties. So I'll give you an example. You know, I mentioned I did my training in Mount Sinai, New York City. So my wife and I, we were living in this one bedroom place and it was great. We were newly married. We loved the place. And my uncle told me, he's like, why are you renting? Why don't you buy the place? I was like, oh man, this is expensive, right? And back then, I, mean, I don't know how much it cost, a few hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was. And he said, you know what? Don't buy the apartment, buy the building. I was like, what the heck is he talking about? Like no one buys buildings. I was like, I don't know who owns buildings, but I'm sure it's some big gigantic corporation that owns the entire island of Manhattan, but it ain't me. Now I own buildings, but, and that kind of put that bug in my ear. And then I also saw during those three years in Manhattan that properties really went up in price. And I'm like, darn it. And in fact, when we moved to California, like, man, I wish we'd have owned there because it's worth so much. And then my other home then became Southern California. And that in Southern California, real estate is king. I mean, if you just bought a property and you held on to it long enough, you know, people are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. Like I have so many patients who they bought their house for, I don't know, $12,000 and now it's $1.3, $1.4 million. It was always there right in front of me. I just didn't know how it worked. And then early in my uh, career, we uh, joined a syndication to buy a building. And again, I didn't know what I was doing. Like we sat in the meeting and they said, okay, this is what the, the deal is. We're going to buy this building and you're going to get returns. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it, right? Just doesn't make sense. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put my money in the 401k, but everyone is doing this. So maybe I'll do it. And then someone's like, well, don't invest if you're afraid of losing money. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm afraid of losing money. <laughs> I don't want to lose money, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll do it. it. That came out to be a very lucrative uh, uh, investment that we're still part of. It was a syndication. It was a build, it was a medical office building, which was a build, but like never to sell. So we're still yeah. in it, like, you know, 12, 13, 14 years later, 15 years later. And so that was that. I still didn't understand. I still didn't know what was going on, but, you know, I was getting quarterly checked. Yeah. And then I started learning more about real estate. And like every single doctor who's listening to this podcast, you spent a gazillion hours learning and reading, and listening to podcasts and then second guessing and making 
spreadsheets and then just, you know, we dig deep when doctors get into it. We, we really, really like to study it. And then I got involved in another LP uh, on a industrial building in LA. And man, within two years, it was like a 70, 80% return. That blew my mind. I was like, holy cow. But I still didn't recognize how to be an operator. In fact, when I would talk to the operators, they're like, oh, dude, you're a doctor. You know, just stick with this. And I kind of accepted it. And then my wife and I, we started doing active real estate uh, all in Southern California, where we bought a duplex, built it into a triplex, and actually an active military officer purchased it from us. And we made this great profit. And then we exchanged that into a three unit and a four unit. And then we rehabbed it, bought it. One building was in a massively gentrifying area. So by the time we rented it, we were renting to like attorneys and teachers and all these like professionals. Rent had tripled. Other building, likewise, rent was under a thousand. And then we rehabbed it and we rented it for 3000. So like there was massive forced appreciation, massive value add that we did. And I just utilized the hours and all the kind of stuff that I had spent, like all that study kindly came to fruition. Yeah. But then I said, huh, let me look at my vision. I don't know if I had written, no, I hadn't written my vision by then, but it didn't meet all the freedoms that I was looking for. It wasn't getting me to that level I wanted to be in terms of the freedoms. It wasn't making me financially independent. It wasn't giving me that that strong source of time and geography, the income was great, but it didn't meet all my necessities. And I wanted to be in larger situations. And that's when I started syndicating. That's when I started seeking mentors. That's when I started, you know, develop my companies and in the formal basis. And that's really where things started to increase. Again, we were talking beforehand and I was kind of asking you about your, how your journey is going and, um, and you're doing incredibly well. And we kind of facetiously talked about, you know, where you could be, or not facetiously, we actually honestly talked about where you could be in one year in, in terms of your area of influence and how you would start bringing in more influential people. And both of you had said, oh, it's going to snowball. And you're like, yeah, it's going to snowball. So yeah. that's what happens when I realigned myself, stronger mindset, recognized, and I could tangibly write down my vision, bringing in mentors, thus bringing in partners and then expand them. That's my story. That's awesome. There's a ton to unpack there. Going back to mindset a little bit, was there a mindset shift for you going from kind of LP investor to a GP or more Um, passive to active? What was that like for you to to make that jump? So you asked two things. You said, was there a mindset shift? Absolutely 100%. And the second thing is how did it feel? It was the mindset shift was recognizing or giving myself credit for what I do, being grateful for what I've done. And I would say a lot of it is giving myself credit and recognizing that you can grow and you can master these things. Like, look at us and, and, and everyone who's listening to this, like, think about the things you did. You mastered your profession. Okay, fine, granted, you may be in practice for two years. I've been practicing for 18 years. I may have a ton more experience and I have a lot more comfortability in anything that walks through the doors in terms of hematology, oncology. And if you're in a residence or if you're two years, you may not have that because you don't have the same experience. But, you know, you really mastered all the things. I mean, you did really darn good in school. You know, your grades were great. You did the activities that you needed to do. You had an excellent essay. You know, you had 
great MCAT scores. And think back when you started to MCAT, when you, when you started MCV. I remember, man, when I sat in that room at MCV and I forgot what hall it was, I was like, I know I'm the dumbest person in here. Like you feel so yep. darn inferior yep. when every single person around you is exactly the same. Yeah. You know, my roommate and ended up, you know, graduating number one, number two, and we're still good oh, friends. Right. And he lives in Southern California here. He's actually one of my investors. But he was a normal person, but exceedingly smart and all yeah. that kind of stuff. They were all the same darn people. Yeah. So, and the same thing that happened in residency. Like I went to, you know, this prestigious internal medicine residency. The program director kind of like came in the room on like day one and said, we are orange. We are Washu. We are like the best in the world you know people look up to us we publish the wash you manual i'm like oh, i don't belong i am in the wrong place you know, you know? i don't know what dummy decided to accept me here but i am a dummy compared to everyone else so there's that imposter syndrome so now you would take what was the switch lp to um gp it was accepted no i can do this i can master this it's not an imposter syndrome and it was that inner strength that just put me there like literally nothing happened, right? It wasn't like I'm sitting there at 9 a.m. and then at 9.01 a.m., like, boom. It's not like when you get to med school, you got a letter and it says, oh, son of a gun, I made it. I got into med school. Right. You're right. It's kind of a mindset shift that gets you there. Yeah, I remember, too, the Egyptian building. That's where we first yeah, met, yeah. you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking the same thing. I'm the dumbest one here. And it was interesting going from college where, where like, frankly, honestly, in college, I, I was one of the smarter ones. I knew that. To then med school, and you're like, oh my goodness, so yeah, all these people are just as smart as me or smarter and the majority were smarter. And it's just crazy how that works. And, and also how other people, you know, in your med school class and mentors and residency and investors and, and partners, how they lift you up and pull you along and, and help yeah. you out on that journey too. And I'm sure that was a huge piece for you as well as you made that shift to become a, more of an active investor. I'm sure you had plenty of awesome mentors who were pouring into you as you had that support system, almost like the attending when you were the resident, you knew, hey, they right. had your back uh, and you had mm -hmm. someone to, to lean into. So I think sometimes people think if they're going to get into the real estate investing game that they uh, have to do it alone or they have to do everything and, and you don't. I mean, <laughs> there's two of us here uh, who are more than happy to help out anyone, I'm sure. So yeah, it's really cool to hear your journey. So now it sounds like predominantly focused commercial multifamily properties. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is there a specific market you're, you're looking into? And you're so right now we're shopping in Atlanta and Indiana, curiously. And those two markets are, well, Atlanta, I've known because my parents used to live there. Uh, we own in Atlanta. Um, in Indiana, is, uh, we're searching there because my mentors in a project we were involved with was um, interestingly in Indiana, um, I kind of know the area cause I grew up in the Midwest, like kind of a personal connections, but, uh, that's what we're actively shopping for. You know, we're looking for a hundred plus units. We gave our investors uh, a two X return in five to seven years. IRR is greater than 15%. Uh, yeah. So that's what we're shopping for. That's awesome. Are, are you guys predominantly looking for more cash flow plays, value add plays, appreciation, or just a combination of all three? Is there something you tend to focus on? Yeah, so forced appreciation. Uh, so for sure, value add. But in terms of we need value add in, we don't want to be speculative. So that's kind of when the cash flow part comes in. So we want value add, but we uh, want the cash flow to, to give to our investors during the operations of a project. We were actually in a great deal that we pulled out because we just couldn't get the cash flow. I mean, the returns were great. You know, we, we, would, we would have hit that 2x return, but without having the cash flow in between. 
And then, so let me kind of explain that because this is a question that comes up from investors all the time. And actually at the end, when we go to our, our how you can contact me, I, I, I do have a free ebook that explains all of this that your oh, listeners cool. are welcome to have. But the, the concept is, is when you're talking to an investor, they, and the, when you're doing a syndication model, a syndication is purely you aggregate people, investors money. And then when you have more capital, you can buy a bigger building. Simplest way of thinking about it. And then it's the investors who, as GPs, our focus is the investors and the tenant. Only those two. And then so for the investors, you need to give a return. So I use some terminology. The simplest way to think about it is, can we get close to 2xing a person's money in five to seven years? So $100,000 investment, can that be $200,000 five years from now or seven years from now? And then I use some other terms, IRR and all that kind of stuff. So it's one thing to say, hey, come invest with me, come invest with Exponential Capital Investment, and I'm going to give you $200,000 you know, in 2028. That sounds great, but what happens in the interim? You need to keep your investors engaged. You need to always keep them in mind. So you, all the deals we look for is to give cash flow throughout it. It's not going to be a ton of cash flow, but it's that you're operating the building appropriately and you're able to, and you conservatively underwrote it and you have enough equity in the building that basically the rents are paying the mortgage and paying you more. And so that's why I stress cash flow, but we're true value add. We want to get that 2x returns. We're not holding these for, you know, 20 years to eventually get 10, 12, 14% returns. Yeah. Are you guys typically 1031 exchanging these properties after? Or are you just, are you selling them? Are you doing a cash out refinance and paying off investors? So, so now you're kind of talking about how, how money is made. So yeah. let's actually go through everything. So when we talk about a 2x, that's based on, we're all, all defined some terms. So there's preferred returns and equity splits. So our goals are typically 7% prep returns with a 70-30 split. So what that means is we're saying that in our underwriting of the building, in our operations of the building, we are anticipating that we are giving a greater than 7% return per year. So meaning on a $100,000 investment or 50, I, I use $100,000 not to scare people away and be like, forget this guy, but just to, to use like numbers that are easy math. So yeah. we're saying that this building will operate that we anticipate there'll be at least a 7% return. So year one, 7,000, year two, 7,000, year three, 7,000, year four, et cetera. However, what we also say is that that deal, that 7% comes when the business cycle has completed. So say, for example, so at the beginning, you have this capital and you need capital to buy the building, to rehab the building and all that kind of stuff. It just takes more money. Right. It's like when you buy a house, you decide to get furniture, you decide to paint the place. It's not just the down payment that you're using. So the, the returns may be 3.5%, make it 3,500 year one, 4,000 year two. And then when you sell the building, you go back in time and say, oh, I gave you $3,000 year one. I still owe you 4,000. So here's 4,000. Year two, I gave you 4,000. Here's 3,000. So that's what that preferred return. The second way you make money is on the profits and use the term 70-30. So let's say in that, in that example, I said you sell the building and then you have a $10 million in profit after you've given all the preferred returns, then you split it. So if it's 70-30, $7 million goes to investors, $3 million comes to the, the general partners. So that's right. how people make money. Then you also talked about refinancing. Yeah, the goal is always to refinance, to try to return yeah. capital as soon as possible. So when you force value add, you may buy a building at $10 million, but you know if you increase the income, they'll be worth $14 million. 
So then you go to the bank, you say, hey, my building is now worth 14 million. Just like you do in your personal home, you refinance money out. You do the same thing in the commercial building. So yeah, those are always our goals. And then at the end, you're actually talking about tax terms. So you can sell the building and you have that profit. And as opposed to the money you're making as a doctor, which is uh, ordinary income. So whatever, if you have 50% tax bracket in California, you make uh, $100,000, $50,000 go to the IRS. In real estate, it's um, capital gains, so it's 20%. And then there's yeah. depreciation, so it's actually lower. Or you roll that money into the next deal and you don't pay any tax. Yeah, it's beautiful. The, the tax benefits of real estate are incredible. It could be a whole whole another podcast episode, I'm sure. Why do you think that physicians make good investors? Or, or why do you think a physician would be a good LP investor in one of your deals? Yeah, so physician investors, especially when it comes to us, we speak the same language. We come from the same place. We went to the same schools. So there's an automatic connection. The important thing that a physician needs to do is they need to be analytical in their decision. You will be at different points of your life. You will be approached by lots of investment. You've got to analyze the deal. And when it's actually coming to the, through syndications, you got to analyze the sponsor. The most important thing is to, to trust the sponsor. You're not going to fly out to the building you're not going to interview the tenants. You're not going to check what the electric bill is if you're watering the lawn and all that kind of stuff. You're relying on the expertise of the sponsor to operate like that. So physicians have to, to do their analysis and put their analytical cap on to see if the deal makes sense. And I should go through this in my ebook. Does it make sense? You know, is it kind of sound like some crazy... In fact, I just looked at a deal when my investors wanted to go into and... It was kind of crazy returns and the crazy operations done in a crazy time. And I didn't need to be an expert to see that. He saw it himself, but I had to kind of hold him back because if you just look at the rewards and you don't look at all the risk, yeah. then it doesn't work. Like when I, when I talk to my patients about a treatment and about their disease, a lot of the discussion is about what are the side effects? What are the risks? You know, what are you getting yourself involved in? And then what are the actual results that you're going to get? So for all those reasons, I think physicians are good investors. And then yeah. lastly, real estate is an amazing asset class. If you look at the wealthiest people in the world, if you look at the top whatever percent, you just name the percent, real estate carries a large portfolio. I wish I could remember the percentages of, I'll have to look it up, but there was some I was reading something, the economist was reporting, like, what are like the wealthiest have in terms of your portfolio? And interestingly enough, it wasn't all equity. It was real estate that carried the burden of their wealth. Equities was their smaller. And I'm willing to bet most people who are listening to this podcast, if they look at their wealth, they're going to see it in their 401k, you know, and those are all in equities. So doctors need real estate and being an LP is completely passive. We do all the work. You just collect the check. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, mate. Yeah, real estate is it, just incredible in so many different ways. And I would say real estate and, and owning a business, you know, those are the two ways that you can really become wealthy. Yeah. And then if you can merge those like exponential capital investments, there you go. And it's incredible. What are kind of your thoughts if you were to look into your crystal ball in terms of multifamily right now? There's a lot of talk on a lot of bridge debt that came due and and so forth. And of course, the interest rates increasing dramatically and how that impacts the, the values of, of properties and so forth what, and compresses cap rates. What are kind of your thoughts in regards to that? And where do you think multifamily yeah. is going to go in the future? So one, you have to start with the fundamentals that multifamily is needed. 
it's not going to be that all of a sudden people don't need a place to live. So you, you just have to recognize that this asset class will exist and it will always exist. It's not going to disappear. And then two, what's happening in terms of in what we think internally and, and what our economists tell us is that there's money around, you know, where they, the feds are trying to slow down inflation, which they've been successful in doing, although I guess yesterday's report showed there was a little bit increased inflation. But the idea is we're just looking for stability in the market to understand what the feds are doing. And then you're going to start to see more transactions because there's always people who need to sell. There's always people like us who are, are looking to buy. And so once you get stability and you can anticipate, or like what I like to say in an underwriting spreadsheet, in a row in a column, you can anticipate what that interest rate is going to be. You can then transact with knowledge. Yeah. Then you have the data to recognize at what value are you going to purchase this asset when you're forcing appreciation to what value you can get. And it's not so much the interest rate are 6% or 5% or 3% or 10%. It's a variable in your underwriting and it allows you to have stability. We're already starting to see more transactions occur um, in this uh, third quarter. We anticipate that, that more is, is going to be. And my favorite thing is when you talk about forecasting, I remember Q1, they said Q3 and Q4 is when we're going to see a lot of activity. Interest rates are going to stabilize. So actually, they weren't too far off because we're seeing more activity happening. And then I was talking to another economist and he's like, well, 2024 is when you're going to see more activity. I was like, you just like to make forecasting like far enough, but close enough. So it's kind of like, can it be teased? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you right. change it when you get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think about just with the weather too. My wife loves the weather. She's always looking at the weather app. It's going to storm. It's going to storm. And I'm the guy that like just looks up I'm like, oh, there's a great cloud and lightning and it's raining. Yeah. Of course it's storming. You know, it, it, it's funny how, how that plays out, but that's awesome. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And what's, if you don't mind me asking, what's kind of the, the portfolio look like now for you guys? Yeah. So we own in LA and we own in Atlanta. So we have okay. 252 units in Atlanta and we have yeah. about 21 units here in LA. That's awesome. That's awesome. Still looking to buy in LA or just really uh, focusing on the Indianapolis and so, Atlanta markets at this point? So we, we know LA so well. It's hard for us not to buy in LA, but it's not necessarily our, our full focus. So, I mean, a lot of people get scared of investing in, in LA and uh, California in general, but we're from here. We know, we know the areas, we know the buildings. So for us, it's, it's easier to do. And I mean, to simplify, even if you're not from here, you just Google map and just like pick a city, pick an address and see how yeah. close you're to the ocean. And that kind of gives you an idea. Yeah. That you're going to do okay. But that's not our full focus now. Yeah. Well, you guys are, you're doing big things. And you said that you guys also work together, you and your wife uh, also work together investing in real estate. Yeah. How's that yeah. husband, wife team? So we play very different roles. So she's a great partner. We work very, very well, but we do different roles and we try not to have our lanes cross because it's not worth the challenges. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We just uh, interviewed uh, another husband wife team yesterday, uh, Francesca and Ryan Byrne. They're great. And it's uh, so really cool to, to hear their insight. They, it was actually the first time I interviewed two people at the same time. And that was a lot of fun mm -hmm. and it was cool. They said the same thing. You really have to, to separate your roles and have complementary skill sets, as we've already talked about, that's important in partnerships as well. Of yeah. course, just as important in a marriage. And it's really cool to, for them to get to do that journey together. My wife and I were involved in some short-term rentals together. She does the interior design and staging and mm -hmm. photography and those sorts of things. So it keeps her 
interested and excited as well in real estate. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and just wanted to ask, is there anything that we didn't hit on anything that you'd like the listener to, to know going forward? Yeah. So I think the most important thing, and I, and I hope when people listen to podcasts, they recognize that we're all reachable. We really are accessible. I mean, if you have an itch of entrepreneurship or real estate, there truly is a community who's super excited and super eager to be out there. I mean, don't be intimidated by us. It's like that attending you had in residency or something. Like, oh man, shoot. I don't want to round under you or she, but you know, we're here to teach. We're here to mentor. Uh, and again, you know, I want that nation of, I want our nation to be a, a physicians who are financially independent and have freedoms. Man, you could practice medicine so much better. And then the patient's benefits and, and society benefit for you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's what Physicians and Property is all about, how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want. And you're a great example of that. So I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. If folks want to reach out to you and, and learn more, get on your investors list, how can they do that? So I'm on LinkedIn every day. So come friend me on LinkedIn. That's Sanjay Sharma, MD. You can also get me on my website, E-X-C-A-P-I-N-V. Uh, that's exponentialcapitalinvestment.com. Um, those are two best ways. I'd say LinkedIn is the best because if you contact me, I will contact you back. You can directly email me at sanjay.sharma at excapinv.com. Come on board. Um, I'll give you a copy of my free ebook where I go into much greater detail and can give you a guide on how to look at syndications. Um, if you're new to it or even if you're not new to it, it'll help you understand what these are. Um, and it'll also give you a chance to join my investor list. So I hope to meet all your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll include all those links in the show notes and congratulations again on hitting a thousand uh, followers on LinkedIn. I saw that you did that the other day. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So let's make it 2000 here soon, but yeah. very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time with that. It's been Dr. Sharma and Dr. Shlo with another episode of the Physicians and Properties podcast signing off. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to this, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this podcast is to help 100,000 physicians learn how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you can please leave me a 